This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we'd like to have more shots on goal, but in the end, it's how many are going in the net. Are you getting good enough looks? We liked a lot of the looks we had. I thought we passed up a bunch of shots we could have had. You know, we've tried to possess a little bit more, but having a little bit more shot volume, I guess, would ease the people that are watching on TV, but we're completely comfortable with uh, <laughs> with what we're doing. You don't have to win every game 5-1. You just have to win the game, and if it's going to be 2-0, 1-0, we're completely fine with it. Yeah, they are. Completely fine. Feel like they're in control a little bit of this series. We talked about it yesterday. Some changes coming to Carolina tonight. We'll get into that. Brendan Burke, he's calling the game for NBC Sports, will be on at 12.30 with us to talk about this series and specifically Game 3. Of course, I'm Greg Lanelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning Day Michigan, Steve Ersnick producing. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Dave John Cooper basically said, same lineup from Game 2 we'll see in Game 3. So that means David Savard's still out. And uh, the way the Lightning defended... Not a problem. It will be interesting to see some adjustments, if any, Carolina makes to figure out Andre Vasilevsky. Easier said than done, but uh, Luke DeCock, who is a uh, columnist at the News and Observer, uh, tweeted out earlier today, Morazic in the starter's crease at the morning skate. No Trocek, Niederreier. Garner's their seventh D, and then he went on to talk about the line combinations. But looks like Rod Brindamore, one of his ways to spark his team a bit, even though Nadelkovich has played pretty well, is to change up goaltender, something we talked about yesterday. Yeah, I think you asked me if I would be surprised if he would make the change, and I said I wouldn't be surprised if he made the change, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't make the change because there are arguments to be made for both. And I guess the argument for making the change would be just, it's not even so much that Nedeljkovic has played poorly, although the one goal he allowed to Goodrow was definitely a bad goal and a very costly goal. But it's not like he didn't start the next game after he gave up that goal. And and by any measure, he played pretty well in game two. We mentioned on the show yesterday that the screenshot from Kalorn was one that got past him, and Vasilevsky, in dealing with screens at the other end of the ice, was able to make the saves. But that's a little different than saying, this goal is on the goalie, right? Bad goal. Like, it was not a bad goal. So I wonder if some of this is just trying to change the dynamic a little bit for his team. The The Hurricanes have played well. They've played well overall. They've played well for long stretches. But I think that Rod Brindamore feels that they can do more. They can apply more pressure. They can be more dynamic offensively. And they're going to have to push against what the Lightning are throwing at them defensively. And maybe changing the goalie is part of that. I know it sounds a little funny that you would change the goalie to help you generate more offense but but sometimes it's just a different vibe and and that's why sometimes goalies are pulled within games not so much because it's the goalie's fault but because the coach is trying to kind of change change the atmosphere on the bench or or change kind of the direction the team is is going maybe infuse some energy into his lineup outside of of the crease so that's the decision that he made the other decisions are not based on 
coach's choice. I mean, I guess it is. He could put in who who he wants to put in, but but the other change is due to the injury to Trocheck, which is not surprising that he is not on the ice because Brindamore said after game two that the injury prognosis was not good. So Morgan Geeky looks like he's going to come in. He played a fair amount during the regular season this year. Looking at his stats, Greg, he played 36 games, so more than half of the regular season games he was in there. Of course, Teravainen was out for much of the year with a variety of injuries, including a concussion. The Hurricanes had other injury problems to different players at points. Trocek missed some time with injury this year. So Geeky is a guy who who's played fairly regularly for their team. He got into eight playoff games in the bubble last year, which that's every game, right? Because they swept the Rangers in the play-in and then they lost to the Bruins in five. So he was a regular in their lineup last year in the playoffs and, and he is going to come in and join Lorenz and Paquette on the fourth line. And the other lines, Brindamore kind of put into a blender. I am not surprised that Svechnikov is back up with Ajo and Taravainen where he has been periodically and and intermittently, I guess. Like he plays with those guys and then sometimes they move Brock McGinn there and they move Svechnikov onto a different line. Svechnikov was extremely dangerous. He was probably the most dangerous hurricane offensively in game two and he has consistently been a shot on goal producer I think he had five shots in game one just behind Natchez and Trocek and then he led them with six shots on goal in game two so if Svechnikov has his legs going and is making things happen in the offensive zone which he is then why not put him up with Ajo and Teravainen so I'm not surprised that, that that is going to be the configuration of Carolina's top line tonight. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. You mentioned how does changing a goaltender maybe spark your offensive play or lack thereof. And I think that is really the interesting question because the flip side of that is Mrazek could come in and just completely be awful. And that's not something you were getting through the first two games from Nadelkovic. Now, granted, you lost them. But I think that is where it's dicey. You may score three, but what if you give up five? And I think it's a gamble. That's a bigger gamble than people anticipate. And here we are, the Tampa Bay Lightning, looking at a situation where in the first two rounds so far, they have been able to get to the backup goaltender. And when we talk about what is the biggest difference between these two teams and throw Florida in them, we had talked about, it's pretty simplistic, but it is goaltending. We know how good Vasilevsky is. There's no question he is elite, and he's the best in the business. But I find it interesting. These teams that want to talk about, well, the league is going to the two-goaltender system. And sometimes you got to make a tough decision on who you're going to start if you split time in the regular season. Who's going to start in the playoffs? But this is what you get when you don't have a number one. And while it may work in the regular season, the margin of error is so small in the playoffs, flipping back and forth, I don't think does your team justice. Now, look, Rod Brindamore obviously has a pulse on his team. He understands where he thinks this team is headed. And this is not a 
a huge departure from the regular season. It isn't. Where they used a variety of goalies. The regular season should be used to find a starter. Well, you can make that argument. I'm just saying, like, this is not a situation where if Nedeljkovic is your number one, Nedeljkovic played like 80% of the games in the regular season and the other guy just came in for back-to-backs. Sure, but what I'm saying is perhaps teams need to start looking at that model a bit more because... We saw it with Vegas. I mean, Robin Leonard starts game one, gets lit up. Flurry starts game two, and I don't even Leonard think didn't Leonard, even, he Leonard didn't, didn't even back up, right? And yeah, and Flurry is up for the Vesna. One of the few guys, actually, you could probably make the case, you know, could take on a pretty big workload. I, I understand the regular season and the postseason, Dave, always fascinates me because. It is different. It's a different game, and it's officiated differently. And so I'm not sure there's another sport where the play is drastically different from the regular season to the postseason than hockey. It's almost like you need two different teams. But the one constant you do need is a starting goaltender. It doesn't necessarily have to be an elite goaltender, although you'd like that. Because offense is going to come and go in the playoffs. We're seeing that with Tampa Bay. What they've done is they've built their team in a way that's allowed them to win games 2-1 or 5-4. I think that's a perfect example of a team that has the talent on its roster to adjust to playoff hockey and to regular season hockey. But the goaltender position is the one thing that has to be constant. And if you have two, or in Florida's case, three, come playoff time... That's going to be an issue. You can get by in the regular season. You can sneak into the playoffs. But if you don't have a guy and you're constantly, and I'm not saying Carolina's constantly, but in this particular instance, they're going to Morazic, who does have NHL experience, I think you've got a bigger problem than maybe you're letting on. And I'm wondering if more teams are going to look at this and next year, if they can, Say, you know what, it's nice to have a guy who can come in and play 20-25 games, but this notion where we're going to go 60-40, maybe even a little bit more than that, and then come playoffs we're going to have a short leash or a shorter leash on our quote-unquote starter and go to our backup because maybe we lost the game and now we're looking for a spark. I'm, I'm just, I'm not comfortable with that. And the Lightning, certainly, Dave, don't have to worry about that because they have Vassy. But even if they had a situation with their goaltender, with their goaltenders, you'd like to pick one. And if you don't have one, you probably need to work on that as a franchise to find that one to be the workhorse. I'm just curious, is your objection to this based on the notion that the guy who is who is being pulled, like it's sending a mixed message to that player, in this case, Nadelkovich, or let's use Bobrovsky as an example to start the Florida series, or is there, or is there something else that, that is bothering you? Because, like, let's say Vasilevsky has a bad game. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has two bad games in a row. It's clear that the Lightning are going to come back with him in the next game, right? I mean, barring something really crazy happening, that's just the way their team is set up. Sure. But if you have a guy like, and this is probably not a great example because Vasilevsky backed up Bishop, and when Bishop had a bad game, and maybe Vasilevsky came in relief 
Bishop got the start in the next game. But let's say Vasilevsky was farther along in his career, and this is still not a great example because you've got two Vesna finalists, which is very rare on your team. But let's say you have a really good goalie as your second goalie. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the, the coach feels that, well, I have this other option. And, and that bothers you, that the coach is thinking, I have this other option, so I'm going to make a change here, just like maybe I'm going to make a change with my sixth defenseman, let's say, or I'm going to make a different sort of lineup change. And I'm not saying, look, the Lightning are in, in a great position because they have an extremely elite goalie, but not every team can be in that position. So wouldn't you want to have two really good goalies? I mean, it's not a question of having and, two And then really you, have, you have the option to say, you know what, I am going to make a change and I have confidence in the guy I'm bringing in. Like, is it just the setup of that, that I, goalie I, rotation that bothers you? I think maybe or is it more the, like the message you're sending to the both. first guy? Probably both. I mean, when did we get into the situation in the NHL where the, the goaltender position, which is the most important position, by the way, becomes musical chairs in some instances? I'm... I'm I'm really befuddled by that. I, yeah, I think is there are fewer goalies that can handle the workload of a sixty under a normal regular season to play sixty games plus. Well, and that's fine, but come playoff time, you shouldn't be doing musical chairs too. I guess that's my point. All right, so and that's why I said regular season and playoff hockey are completely different, but that doesn't mean you can't find your number one during that time. So if you want to sit there and say the regular season, you can't find a guy like Vasi to play as many games as he plays. Okay, fair point. But come playoff time, you probably need to have a number one. And your leash probably should be a bit more than we're seeing here. As Lucas just chimed in, and I think it's a good point, he says, he says feels like another goalie overreaction. Nadalkovich led in a few bad goals, really probably only one. But it's still only two goals per game. Carolina needs to score, plain and simple, but good luck against in-the-zone Vassy and a team dedicated to a shutdown structure. Well, I would say this. Carolina is defending extremely well, and these games have come down to one play here, one play there. Nedeljkovic did cost his team in game one. No doubt. Now, if it stays 1-1, he makes the save on Goodrow. Maybe the Lightning win the game anyway. I mean, there's no there's no guarantee that Carolina is going to win that game if he makes that save. But he definitely put them in a tough spot, down 2-1 to one in the final seven minutes and change of the third period, and they couldn't rally and tie it. And, and again, I'm making a distinction here, but I think this is a fair observation or criticism or whatever you want to say. He wasn't able to give Carolina a necessary save on the Kalorn shot, whereas Vasilevsky did for the Lightning on on similar type plays. And so, if you're Rod Brindamore, you're saying, you know, the goaltending has been has been good, and and Nedeljkovic did make some key saves in Game Two on some of the the better chances the Lightning had. But maybe he's saying, you know what, I want a guy with a little bit more NHL postseason experience at this point. After what I have seen in the first two games, this is where we want to go. Nedeljkovic has been has been good, but in my opinion, maybe not good enough. So then, what Brennan Moore and, and therefore I'm me, going with the guy who has more postseason experience. And you've and we have talked about this. Mrazek is a fringe starter. Let's be blunt. 
He's had some success in the playoffs, but he also hasn't had some success in the playoffs. And basically what you're telling me is, not you, Dave, but looking well, at I'm what Well, I'm projecting on Brindamore, which probably is stupid of me to do. I don't know if that's well, what he's look, thinking. Uh, coaches but... make mistakes, too. <laughs> We're allowed to criticize him. I but mean... it's not like Dedelkovic has been perfect. He hasn't. Well, no. Like, but... his play has led to two losses. Not he, he, hasn't, he hasn't been bleeding goals all over the place, but... I think it's safe to say Vasilevsky has outperformed Nadelkovich in the first two games. Oh well, let's put I, it that course, way. Of course, of course. I, but I, I don't. When you look at Carolina's problems, is goaltender number one? Maybe not even number two. Well, I, mean, I think I, that I think that Carolina, regardless of who is in the net, the expectation for the Hurricanes is we need to defend with the same level of intensity and commitment that we have for much of the first two games. And if we limit the number of chances in game three, as well as we have through games one and two, we will hold the lightning to two goals or less and give ourselves a chance to win. Yeah, I mean, Now they've done that with Nedeljkovic, but, but this change has been made. So for the rest of the Carolina team, to your point, the, the emphasis has to be on creating more scoring chances in the offensive zone. And there's no question. Now the risk with this with this decision is that Morazic gets lit up. But that time. happens that happens if Carolina is not defending well. Well I mean, but, but they, they could defend they could defend well and Morazic lets in some leaky goals. That's what I'm saying. Like Morazic's not he's not Stonewall. That, it's not like you're going to Dominic Hoshik. You're going to Peter Morazic. And so what you're telling me. Again, not you, just I'm reading the tea leaves here. Obviously, they're using this move to shake things up and to push the play a bit more offensively. No doubt about it. Because to your point, they're defending well. What I'm saying is, that's all well and good. But what if Brindamore is looking at this and Mrazic comes in, even if they're playing a, a, a fairly defensive-oriented game and the Lightning get 15 shots, but they score five goals? Like, that may happen. Everybody seems to think, well, you know, the Lightning are only going to get two because, you know, Carolina is defending really well. Well, hey, maybe they only got two because Nadelkovich has been, would have been better in those situations than Morazic. Well, we're going to find out. Well, we are. And it also tells <laughs> me, too. We're going to find out. But it also tells me, too, Nadelkovich wasn't as high on their list as his numbers would indicate. And just look at his career. He's never really gotten a chance to be that guy, except this year. Wasn't it a little bit of a surprise? Maybe not a huge surprise, but a little bit of a surprise that he got the start at the beginning of the National it's, Series? It's almost I, I confess like, I wasn't really doing I, a deep I, it's dive a fair on, point. on when he made that choice, when Brindamore made that choice. Dave, it's almost like when Morazic went down... And Adelkovich came up and played well. He almost forced them to play him because he played so well. When you look at the numbers and that he was always going to be on a shorter leash because he wasn't really their guy. I mean, we talked about this with Alec Campbell a number of times. I mean, this was the, what, AHL goalie of the year? Won a championship down in the AHL, Calder Cup. And he still wasn't that guy for Carolina so they probably in a roundabout way actions speak louder than words yeah they liked him but they didn't like him enough and I think to his credit he played his way into the starting role but 
you got the sense, too, that if this happened in the playoffs, whether it was giving up four goals through two games or whether it was giving up eight goals through two games, that if Carolina found themselves in a desperate situation, the leash on Nedeljkovic was going to be pretty short. And maybe that's why we speculated Morazic was going to be in. I am saying, too, I just... If you're going for... for If you're expecting a spark and you think Peter Morazic is going to be that spark, he may. I, 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 It feels desperate. And maybe they are desperate down 0-2. Maybe well, you remember thing. this series or this playoff run well because you've referenced it before, but in... Actually, both years, 2016 and 2017, the Penguins used both goalies. They did. Now, wasn't the Murray situation in 2017 due to injury well, they were, that they were, Flurry was in? Yeah, remember, they, there were injuries with that one. So it was, And listen, Matt Murray was a Mike Sullivan guy. Once Murray came back, I mean, that was a big, big yeah. debate in Pittsburgh because Flurry was playing lights out. In and, 2017. Yes. Yes. 2016, Murray was the upstart, and yes. by the time the Lightning saw the Penguins in the conference final, Murray had taken over the net. And Flurry was recall, hurt. Flurry got the surprise start in Game Five, and the Lightning won that in overtime. And that was some pre- when they went right back to Murray, and that was some pressure because Flurry was hurt, and he came back. And again, it kind of gets into that. Discussion. I had forgotten that he was hurt. I thought yeah. that was a coach's decision. No, he was uh, nicked up even before then. That's how Murray was able to come in and play well. And so that was a little bit different because you had, I mean, at the time, legitimately two number one goaltenders. I mean, as we find out right now, Murray is is trying to find his game flurry. You know, it's got a much different Vegas. team playing in front of him, and that's true, and that's yeah. very true. But I, I, I'm, I'm very look. That is going to be the storyline tonight, yeah. because as I said before, Morazic could come in, Dave, and we've seen him play well. And maybe they defend really well, and Morazic isn't really tested. I think that's Carolina's hope. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Well, look, backing up your point, at least, at least looking back in history, and if we go back far enough, then it was one goalie. I mean, it was, it was Ken Dryden, or it was Bernie Perrant. I mean, I guess the Oilers used Grant Fuhrer and Bill Ranford, but Fuhrer was the main guy, at least in their early cups. You know, is Patrick Waugh. I mean, go down the list. I guess the Red Wings also use different guys, but it was usually one guy for each run, whether it was Mike Vernon or Chris Osgood or whomever. If you go back and look at recent years, okay, it was Bennington for St. Louis in 2019. It was Holpe for Washington in 2018, but it started with Grubauer, but then Holpe grabbed the net early and, yeah. and rode it the rest of the way. 2017 and 2016, we just talked about that it was essentially Murray. 2015, it was Corey Crawford after that same thing, but but once he grabbed the net in the first round, he held on to it. You know, and then you've got Jonathan Quick. I mean, it's always been seemingly one guy. It has not been like 50% starts for one player and 50% starts for another for the team that that ultimately went on to win the Stanley Cup. So that backs up your point. Well, I just think it, when th- th- when did that change in the NHL? Because guys have always had a, a pretty good workload as the number one goaltender. That comes with the territory. Now, maybe you think injuries play a part and you want to keep a guy fresh. Maybe some analytics come into this. I mean, look, uh, Dan Rosen from NHL.com is quoting Rod Brennamore. He said, Mrazek is ready and he's been waiting. He said, Alec Nedeljkovic has been great, but he's played a lot. 
and they're going with a fresher guy to try and win. That was actually what I read about the Vegas decision with Fleury. Remember, you were like, well, why did they pull Marc Andre Fleury? And I saw a quote from Pete DeBoer where he said, well, Fleury played seven games in 14 days. Yeah. And they were taking on a rested team, Colorado. That may have factored in. You could argue whether that yeah. was the legitimate reason some based on how that first game went with, yeah. with Leonard and Nett. But that's kind of the logic, I guess, that Brindamore is using. And, you know, Nedeljkovic did play every minute of that first-round series, which had a lot of hockey in it, a couple of double overtime games in there. I, I, I guess the – see, to me, it just – and we'll move on to another topic. We have um, our next guest coming up, Brendan Burke, and maybe we'll ask him about it. It feels like the fresher goaltender narrative is a bigger deal now than it's ever been. And I'm just asking the question, when did that come about? You know, was that was that a big deal for Marty Brodeur, Patrick Waugh, Dominic Hoshik? Right. Well, you know, and, that and they're was all the elite goaltenders. The cup winner, at least to date, essentially the cup winner has had one goalie in the net, or if there was some kind of shuffling going on, that happened in the earlier rounds. Yeah. By the time you got to the semifinals yeah. and the final, it was basically one guy. You know, the Islanders used a couple of goalies last year in the bubble with great success, and then Grice got pulled in game one against the Lightning, and it was Varlamov's net moving forward after that. So I think once you get to the deeper rounds, at least history has showed that – history has shown, pardon my my poor grammar there, but, like, we have seen that it's basically you, – you, you put – you put your cart, you hitch your cart to, to the main guy, whoever that guy is, and that guy is going to take you to the promised land. If there are some questions, it usually happens for the cup winner earlier in the first round or maybe into the second round. But that that situation has been resolved by the time you've gotten deep into the playoffs. I like to give credit where credit's due. Geo Fitz from Raw Charge, Dave, broke down some Morazic numbers. So he's 3-11-3 in the regular season with an 8.76 save percentage and a 3.37 against the Lightning. Against. against the Lightning, yes. Yeah, and I in think I playoffs, said yesterday, you did. a lot of those came when Detroit started spiraling down the standings and the Lightning were in the process of winning whatever it was. I mean, it reached, it reached the high teens, right? Consecutive wins. It did. A lot of those came against Morozik at the beginning of the streak. Now look at these numbers in the playoffs. Four and six... A 931 save percentage and a 1.88 goals against. He had three shutouts and also lost two games when he gave up one goal. Now that's Geo Fitz from Raw Charge. He's their senior featured writer. So, I mean, honestly, Dave, you look at those numbers and you're like, well, why didn't you start? <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to, I mean. Yeah, but these are these are playoff numbers against the Lightning specifically, right? Correct. All right, Correct. well, I mean, that was 2015 and 2016. Understood. And he had some games in there where the Lightning scored five goals against him. Sure. So, I don't, know how, much we can, I don't yeah. know how much we can read into that. I mean, it's a completely different team in front of him. The 2015 Detroit Red Wings gave the Lightning a heck of a series. But they are they are a completely different team, or they were a completely different team than what Carolina is throwing on the ice this year. I'm just seeing Trocek is doubtful for yes. tonight. Will yes. test himself before game. So there is a possibility that Trocek is going to be in. 
how effective is he going to be if he even plays, though? I mean, if he's well, doubtful. that's the question. I mean, you know? he tried to go in the third period. Yeah. I thought he didn't even have a shift. Apparently, he had one shift in the third period and then and then packed it in. Yeah. Well, they're trying to they're trying to get him into the lineup through treatment, clearly. And maybe that means that he doesn't play tonight, but he's able to play later in the series. We'll have to we'll have to monitor we'll have that to find situation. Out. We'll have but to if Trocheck can go, I would expect that that would mean that Geeky comes out. But we'll see. We'll have to wait. Really for can tonight's going to be a lot of fun. I mean that the, the anticipation there. And I'm curious how the Lightning are going to view that too. I mean their game's not going to change, but yeah. Well, look, we've spent the first half an hour basically talking about the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm not sure how much Lightning fans and other other subjects related to goalies for cup winners. I will say this before we get to Brendan on the other side of the break. The Lightning need to bring the same level of defensive commitment that they showed in games one and two, and that is probably going to take priority over anything else. Forget about shot totals. Forget about how many power plays they have or or how their power play looks, I think that's important. But they need to try to continue to slow down best they can this Carolina attack because I think Carolina is going to try and rev up the octane to a level that we have not yet seen in the series for the same reason that we talked about how Florida was going to bring it for game three. Mm. They have no other choice. Yeah, no doubt. Is that is win. at the top of the list. Yep. Now, if the Lightning can spend a little bit more time in the offensive zone and try and break down the Hurricanes defensively, great. Great. And Coop kind of said, you know, we'll take the win. Will we like more shots? Sure. Did we pass up some shots? Yeah, maybe. But it didn't sound like he was sweating over that 15 shot on goal total. But it's easier not to sweat over that yeah. when you're in the lead, you know, this when you're not a... having to, to play catch up yourself. So... Yeah. This game to me, has, still, the biggest key is how the Lightning are going to defend against this Carolina team. This game has the feel, and I agree with you, before we get to Brendan, where Carolina pushes, Vassy makes some saves, but there could be some turnovers there where the Lightning can go the other way. This also feels like a game Dougie Hamilton either does really well or he's like a minus four because they want to push for some offense. He certainly can do that, but boy, oh boy, he can be sometimes a disaster on the back end, and the Lightning might be able to take advantage of the aggressiveness from Carolina tonight. It'll all play out at 8 o'clock. Brendan Burke's going to be calling it for NBC. We'll talk to him about this series. I am Greg Linnelli along with Dave Michigan. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, glad you're with us. Power Lunch rolls along. Greg Linnelli with you, along with Radio Voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick producing Game 3 tonight at Amelie Arena. Boy, Carolina needs a win. Tampa Bay trying to extend their lead to 3-0. The man who's been calling the game for NBC. Let's bring him in and welcome him to the broadcast. That would be Brendan Burke. Brendan, first off, great to be with you. Thanks so much for making time to talk about this series. And I've got to say, probably a lot of people surprised a bit that the Lightning are up 2-0, considering Carolina's had some decent looks and outside of a, a leaky goal there by Nadalkovich in Game 1, have gotten some pretty decent goaltending. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing that no matter uh, how you look at it, I mean, six total goals through two games with these two teams, I mean, even with how tight and low scoring a lot of those regular season meetings were, I mean, that's that's impressive. You know, and, and for Tampa to have zero goals against five-on-five 
I mean, yeah, a lot of it was Andre Vasilevsky in, in, in game one and 37 saves. But, yeah, it's, it's surprising that it has been as tight as it is, um, I think, uh, all around. And that Carolina's offense, as good as it's been all year, hasn't found a way to break through. Well, you could make the same statement about the Lightning. They have not exactly generated a ton of scoring chances through two games either, although we noted they, they started to get some looks in the second and third period of game two, which may have been a function of, of the score in that game. But I'm just wondering, Brendan, what do you see these teams doing to generate more chances as well as they are both playing defensively? How can they generate more chances? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, obviously. I, but I do think that, um, you know, when, when you look down, you know, watch these games, uh, there is a, a lot of room for improvement for the big names in this series, right? Like, uh, you know, Stamkos and Kucherov haven't really made a huge impact offensively. I think, you know, you're looking at the other side and going, well, you know, Aho and Svechnikov and Tara Vinen and Dougie Hamilton and all those guys obviously haven't been able to generate anything either. So um, I'm not sure how much you change schematically. I think both teams kind of play their game and have been playing their game, and there's not really a whole lot of reason to change that game. Uh, I think they probably just look for a little more of uh, the big players to, to be the big players in this series and, and get them their teams on the board. So um, I think that's kind of the message that Carolina has sent out today in their in their morning skate media availability is that they don't want to change a whole lot. They just want to execute a little bit better. Brendan Burke joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brendan, it's interesting. Can you make the case this series, at least through two games, is about one team trying to find out how to win games while the other team knows how to do it in the Tampa Bay Lightning? Yeah, you can certainly make that case. I think, though, you know, for Carolina, you know, they're only a couple of years removed from the Eastern Conference Final, and a lot of those guys, you know, went went that far. Um and, and they're kind of making it uh, their business to be in the playoffs here three years in a row. So, um, but but I think that you can see the composure for a team. I think last night or two nights ago, uh, you know, the Lightning with 15 shots on goal, but never really looked like they were struggling, right? Like they weren't really generating much, but it looked like they were comfortable. They had their lead and they were going to play their game. Um, you know, and that's the thing for, for Carolina in this series uh, and really in the entire playoff. They've allowed the first goal in seven of the eight games they've played. And for the Hurricanes and for any team in the NHL, that means you're chasing every night and they haven't been able to get out in front and kind of settle into their game and dictate the play. They've had to kind of chase the lightning in this series. And uh, as you guys know from watching the lightning, that's a tough thing to do is to, is to chase that team trying to make up a difference and, and try to play the game that is being dictated by the lightning. So um, I think really for, for Carolina, they haven't been able to get to their game at all in this series. And, and that's been the difference. Brendan, I have a question uh, specific to your experience in the playoffs this year. I remember we had John Forslund on with us last year during the bubble playoff, and he was recounting how he was doing like, yeah, I don't think they made him do three games a day, but but he often was doing two games in a day, four different teams within whatever it was, 10 or 11 hours. You had a pretty active first round. Now you're just doing this one series and you're in the building in the second round. But how challenging was it in the first round for you to be doing a variety of different series, often remotely, and keeping everything straight? At least they didn't make you do two games in one day, though, right? <laughs> no, but I did do a, I did do a Saturday night game uh, at 8 o'clock in D.C. and a Sunday afternoon game in Pittsburgh. So, um, Well, that counts then. That's two so, in less than <laughs> 24, hours. 24 hours. for sure. Um, but I, but I did 10 games in 10 nights to start the playoffs, which was something, obviously, that I've never done before and probably will never have the opportunity to do again. Um, 
but it, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, it was a lot of work. And I was obviously not only was I bouncing back and forth between series, uh, I was bouncing back and forth between national games on NBC and uh, Islander games on MSG networks is my, my normal job. So, um, you know, it kind of was, was a lot of moving parts and I was doing some games on site for NBC, some games from a studio for NBC, some games for a studio in Manhattan for MSG, some games at site for the Coliseum. So, um, it was, it was challenging. And at the end of those 10 days, I got one day off and then it did, uh, you know, I went, it wound up being 12 games in 13 nights. Uh, but that one day off felt like a week because it was, uh, it was a lot to get through. And, and as you mentioned, now I can kind of settle in and just doing, you know, he ho-hum one series, uh, but just to make it a little bit, uh, more spicy, I have, uh, the Premier Lacrosse League starting tomorrow, so I will miss Game Four. I will do lacrosse <laughs> Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and, and most likely hook up with this series on Monday in Raleigh. Man, Just don't did. call a ball a puck. I had that once doing <laughs> hockey I'm <gonna> soccer. <laughs> Brendan's a busy man for sure. I'm curious as an announcer too. Now that you're starting to see fans in the building and you're calling games on site, that has to not only obviously energize the players, but for the broadcasting perspective, that's a, a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that um, you know, I, I, I. I will. I will say this. I don't norm. I don't ever care who wins or who loses. But when the game gets tight and it or it goes to overtime, you're always kind of pulling for the home team because of that moment that you get right where the crowd erupts. Uh, because that's a whole lot of fun and that energy is easier to bring. Um, but yeah, I mean, calling the games in in a studio or in the in an empty building, like it, it's it's hard for me as a TV guy. And obviously, Dave on radio, it's a little bit different because you guys have to really identify everything and, and that's your main job but on tv for me you can see the puck right so for me i've always viewed one of the main components of my job on television is to capture the emotion in the building and try and bring that through the tv uh, and when there's none of that in the building it's really hard to bring that part through the through the tv so um kind of artificially creating it so it's, it's been great to kind of get back into the normal groove and try and um, you know, let your goal call kind of breathe and let the crowd, you know, take over the moment. And so, um, no, it, it has been uh, it has been a, a nice breath of fresh air in order to uh, to get the fans back at the building for the broadcasters and kind of feed off that energy as well. Brendan, I do have a question for you about the Islanders, the team that you covered throughout the regular season and, and some in that first round series as well. How much did the team grow from the playoff run last year that, and they were very close. If you take out the game one lopsided loss that may have been a function of the tough series, the series before, and losing Sezikis in that series, like how much are they coming back this year better for having gone through that experience in the bubble last year? Yeah, I think significantly. I think that, um, you know, and, and, and this Islanders team is not, not the same team, and losing Anders Lee earlier in the season – um, and True. he's done for the year. Their captain and, and one of their leading scorers is, is is certainly something that still haunts this team and might ultimately be the difference in why um, they either don't advance in this round or can't make it over the hump in the next one. But uh, you know, you look at this team and and go, yeah, they they didn't play their best hockey down the stretch, and so everybody was picking the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? The the Penguins are just going to roll um, because look at the Islanders. They they only won four games in regulation in their last fifteen going into the playoffs, and and it's done. But uh, I think part of that experience from the bubble helped them to be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're here. We know what we can do. We know how we have to play. And in game one, they came out and they played the way that they played in the bubble. Um, and, and they, you know, they beat the Penguins in six and, um, 
yeah, they got outplayed a couple of times in that series, but they, they keep it tight and they keep themselves in it. And I think all of that kind of growing together. And then on top of what they learned on the ice um, and, and through that experience, I think was, was the, the social aspect of it and the, and the friendship aspect of it and, and how tight that team became by spending such a significant amount of time in the bubble. And I'm sure the lightning would tell the same story is that, the only teams that advanced as far as those final four teams did were teams that enjoyed spending time together because otherwise you would have been miserable and you would have gone home. Um, so I think that brought the group closer together. And this Islanders team is virtually the same group. Um, even Elias Sorokin, who wasn't on the team last year, was in the bubble with the team last year. It was kind of his first experience. They signed him just before the uh, the bubble began, and he was able to be the practice goalie. So he got that experience too. So I think it's a very tight-knit group, and I think that experience is helping them, uh, help them all season and will help them here in the playoffs as well. As I uh, I told Dave, uh, Brendan, we were talking, because I'm from Pittsburgh, I, I mentioned – to uh, Dave, and we talked about that series a bit. Didn't help that uh, Tristan Jari couldn't stop anything, too. He was, <laughs> we talk about goaltending <laughs> being an issue, and I, I want to get into that with, with this series because this is now the second series in a row the Lightning have chased the starting goaltender. Are you surprised Brindamore is going to Mrazek tonight? And in general, Brendan, when did we start to see this trend of teams splitting time regarding their goaltenders? Because it's one thing to do it in the regular season, but as you know, the regular season in playoffs in hockey is drastically different than in any other sport, and you want to make sure that position is is solid and there aren't any question marks. But I feel like there's more of a trend to have a quicker, uh, quicker pull of your starting goaltender than in years past. When did that start, and are you surprised we're seeing Mrazek tonight? Um, I... I... First of all, no, I'm not surprised to see the Mrazic just because I think that, you know, it's almost like a goalie pull in the middle of a game. This is a goalie pull in the middle of the series, more to spark the team than anything else. I mean, Ron Brindamore said after game one, and, he, and he's right, they can't expect to win a game when scoring one goal. And they've only scored one in each of the first two. And, and in game two, it was a, a six on five with a minute and a half to go in a two nothing game. So I'm not surprised to doing that just to try and spark the team. I don't think it's necessarily an indictment on the play of the Delkovich. And... The other part of the question, I'm not sure when it started. I think we could probably go back and figure it out. But I think that there is there is momentum into having a two-goalie system during the regular season with the obvious exceptions. Obviously, Vasilevsky is a different animal, and, and he uh, is a guy that, that can play in a regular 82-game schedule, 60 games a year, and be perfectly fine. Um, but I think there's a push to having a more balanced attack in net where – you know, I don't know how many more $10 million contracts are going to be handed out to goalies when it comes to Carey Price and Bobrovsky because you'd rather have two $5 million goalies um, and go after it that way. So I think that you're, you're seeing more of a, a push to have two goaltending options during the regular season that can be uh, 1A and 1B. And when you have that set up in the regular season, if there's any reason that 1A isn't working, you have 1B and why wouldn't you use it? Um, and probably we saw that, you know, not to go back to the Islanders, but we saw that last year with Varlamov and Grice, and, and you didn't know every night which goalie would start. Um, during the regular season, they alternated the first 33 games of the year. No one played two games in a row, and then when it came to the playoffs, I mean, people forget that it was Thomas Grice in net that won game seven against Philadelphia to, to set up that Eastern Conference matchup with Tampa, um, even though Varlamov was the guy and was the guy this year. Um, and the same thing can be said for, for them and, and Sorokin this year. So I think you're starting to see the importance on that backup goalie being a second starter. And so when you have that that 
type of mentality going into the regular season, it only makes sense that you would go to another guy in the playoffs if there were any sort of bumps in the road. What's interesting is, and I don't know if Barry Trotz addressed this when he made when he made the the two switches, I guess, because he started with Sorokin, went to Varlamov, and then went back to Sorokin. But Brindamore did say he he mentioned this is about keeping Nadelkovich fresh, and Pete DeBoer used that line of reasoning when talking about Mark Andre Fleury. He said, "Well, he just played seven games in fourteen days, heading into Game One." Do you think that's part of it, or is that like coach speak for, I don't want to talk about the other parts of this decision? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I don't, it's part of it. And by part of it, I mean, you have, you have two goalies that you believe in somewhat equally. And in the case in, in Vegas, I, I would imagine that you have a similar belief in Raman Leonard that you do in Marc-Andre Fleury. So if you have the same belief in the goalies, why wouldn't you go with a fresh one? Right, If you've got the opportunity after a seven-game series to go, hey, we can lose absolutely nothing in net and we can have a fresh goalie in here that might be able to steal us a game, then then why wouldn't you? But at the same time, uh, the Nedeljkovic one, I think he called it a mental rest. Um, so I, I think maybe he probably didn't like the way he tracked the Kalorn shot in game two. Obviously, the Goudreau shot in game one is one any goalie would want to have back. So maybe he's not impressed with... Uh, what he's been able to do in net, and he's giving him a chance to mentally reset as opposed to physically reset. Uh, but again, if if they didn't have Peter Morazic, and if, say they had you know an AHL goaltender up with no NHL experience, he would not be switching goalies today, right? Like he would not be doing that. He's doing it because he has Peter Morazic, who has experience and certainly can play as a number one in the league. And so, why not take the chance on on making that switch? Yeah, we'll see if it works. It'll be interesting to see if he gets lit up. Do they go back to Nadelkovich or, you know, do we play a music, game of musical chairs? Of course, you've got to think, Brennan, before we let you go, this is a must-win game for Carolina. I mean, you could you could make the case they've got a, a really uphill battle here anyways, but uh, you go down 3-0 to this team, it's, it's going to be tough. Well, if the first-round series with Florida taught us anything, maybe we should be preparing for James Reimer in Game 4. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, this this is it. I, I think that you know the Lightning, what, they're 7-0 when leading a series two games to none, so um, they're already in a tough spot. So, you know, going down three and obviously losing two games at home kind of changes everything. But, yeah, this is this is it. This is a must-win for the Carolina Hurricanes, and it doesn't sound like uh, Trocek's going to play. It looks like Niederreiter is done for the series, so... Uh, their backs are against the wall here, so they're going to try and uh, they're going to have to steal one here today just to try and make this a series. So, um, yeah, the the pressure is is squarely on the Carolina Hurricanes coming into tonight. We may see Cam Ward. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? He may come out of retirement. He may come out. And How about try Mike and... Liute? <laughs> That's right. Good stuff, Brendan. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Have a great call tonight. Thanks, Enjoy Brendan. the game. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, guys. Take care. All right, that is Brendan Merck from. Uh, NBC Sports also does games for the Islanders. He's their TV voice for MSG Networks. And well, are had... you satisfied with his no, answer to no, the question? No. Look, we're going to have to see a cup no. winner win the cup, splitting so. time with the goal. I think so. And maybe he... this year will be the year. That would mean that the Lightning wouldn't win the cup, of course. Come on, Dave. Let's think positive. No. Or Colorado. Well, the thing Colorado's, about it is. Colorado has hitched their wagon to Grubauer, for sure. And that's fine. I, I respect that. The thing about it is, you know, he mentioned the Islanders and Grice and Varlamov and how far they got, but the goal is to win a Stanley Cup. I don't care what you do getting up to it. you got to win a cup. Yeah. You can you can win as many rounds as you want with those guys. It still comes back, you know, th- there are some sayings, most sayings that are true for the most part, and they hold up over the years. I do believe if you have 
two goaltenders, you probably don't have one. I, I think that's a pretty, pretty sound saying. And I think we're finding that out. And you know what? For those teams, probably some soul searching. The thing about with Florida, I think they found their goaltender. Yeah. They're going to stick with him. Agreed. And I think for them, it'll be interesting to see how they would handle something in the playoffs when Spencer Knight is that guy to start a playoff series. But as we've said, the Lightning don't have that problem. Vassy is playing at a level, Dave, that we can even make the case some goaltenders, they just they can never envision themselves getting. And I think that is a great luxury that this Lightning team has is that Vassy, when they do have a breakdown, is making those saves. Now you factor in the Tampa Bay is defending hard. And I don't want to say Vassy's job becomes easy because we saw what happened in game two late. I mean, he had to make a couple of dynamic saves. But I'm sure he's appreciative of how well his team is playing in front of him. He and is. the block shots. Yeah, he said that. I mean, again, it doesn't make his job easier, but, you know, he thrives on a huge workload. And he probably feels the times, look, you know, guys in front of me are, are making my job a bit easier. And I appreciate that. And that's going to have a, hopefully, a cumulative effect with his his health moving forward in these series, meaning just, you know, is he tired? Is he not tired? And hopefully... Right. He's able to manage that as well as he can because I think it's. By the way, um, speaking of blocking shots, which David yeah. Savard does very well, uh, same lineup tonight for the Lightning. So no Savard yep. for Game Three. No Savard, Shen in, and I'm okay with that. You know because they've played well. Yeah, you know these stats, and and Brendan mentioned it. The Lightning are seven and zero and winning the first two games of a playoff series. <laughs> and I always come back to like past is not prologue. Like, every series is different, right? Now, look, there have been, what, four instances in NHL history that a team has come back from a 3-0 deficit to yes. win? Yes. That's, that's a fairly large sample size going across yeah. generations with a variety of different teams. It just goes to show, like, that is really, really hard to do. Yep. But just because the Lightning are 7-0 and when they won the first two games of a playoff series... It doesn't mean anything in this series. You know you know what Carolina's record is in a playoff series where they lose the first two at home? No idea. 1-0. It's only happened once before. Yeah. And in 06, in the first round, they lost the first two at home to Montreal and then won the next four. I remember that series. Yeah. I think they won one of the games in Montreal to either make it 2-1. It might have been the game three. They won in overtime or game four. To, to get it to 2-2, but they won the next four in a row, and then, of course, they went on to win the Stanley Cup. So you might say, well, that was, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> Who cares? But, like, that's in the record book, right? Carolina put it in the game notes today. So... Of course they did. T take those stats for for what they're worth, which is they're interesting. What stats something are something to think about, but I don't think, I don't think that that has any bearing at all. On, on what is going to happen tonight in Game 3. What may have some bearing is the Lightning were just in this same exact situation two weeks ago. And they weren't happy with how they played in Game 3. I mean, especially in the third period. And they ended up losing that game in overtime. So, we'll see, we'll see if they can have a correction tonight in Game 3. Here's a stat for you. You think it's a coincidence the Lightning are playing the way they have after they got swept by Columbus a couple years ago? You want to talk about learning from your mistakes and being motivated and 
It's definitely not a coincidence. No, they I, did. I, that's what I mean. I, yeah, that's something you can look that. at. I mean, eventually that that balloon will pop, and they will lose a series because <laughs> no team is going to continue to win forever and ever. But this group, they're hungry. You know what? The the Penguins are the only team in the cap era to to repeat. They're hungry to do it. And you know what? They have the team to do it. They really right. do. And Carolina, I think what's shocking to Carolina, as I told you before yesterday, Dave, I, I do believe this. They, they're looking. I don't want to say you have to play a perfect series to beat the Lightning, but almost when Vassie's playing this well, you do. They probably weren't anticipating the Lightning being able to play this well defensively. I'm not sure many teams anticipate it, but it's like another level this team got to. Like Ryan McDonough is playing out of this world. He has been so good. I mean, think about the playoffs. that. And I don't know if you could have objectively looked at that and said that's going to happen in the playoffs. Ryan McDonough may be their best defensive defenseman right now in the playoffs. You know, maybe you thought that that could happen, but you, you know, you might have been like, eh, I, I, at this level, no. I mean, he is really. He's become an elite defensive defenseman right now. And that is something I'm not sure that you can quantify or prepare for if you're Carolina. And the Lightning have just, to their credit, and I think this is where coaching does come in, the buying in, and leadership too. I mean, I I think the Lightning have a bunch of guys who, they're all clicking now. They all understand we've got to defend. We've got to defend. And that message is up and down, that whole lineup. And that... I think that does, Dave, speak to leadership. I mean, again, it's hard to yeah. quantify leadership. Well, the opponent matters too, and I think I used the word fear yesterday. If I had to, I mean, I think that that's a fair word to use. Like you're, you're, you're motivated by fear because if you don't play at a certain level, things could get ugly, and then you very uh, amusingly pointed out that you might fear a one-on-one against Michael Jordan. And that's not going to really help you, but mm-hmm. we can agree that that is a different situation than what we're talking Come about Come on, I think here. it's similar. But maybe the better word is respect. Like, if you have a healthy respect for what the other team can do, mm-hmm. then you challenge yourself to raise your level in that regard. And I think both teams defensively have shown a healthy respect for what the other team can do offensively, and they have met the challenge so far through the first two games. It's going to be a lot of fun. We start tonight because the game's at 8 o'clock. We will start at 7 with the pregame skate show. Brian Burns, Kaylee Chelios, and Bobby the Chief Taylor at 7.30. I'll have the pregame for you. We'll hear from John Cooper, Rod Brindamore, and, uh, of course, we'll hear from Dave Michigan and the Hall of Famer Phil Esposito. And the guys call the game at 8, and then we have the last call afterwards. So, again, a full plate of lightning program for you. And uh, it'll start at 7 o'clock, so we uh, we look forward to it. And the play should be loud tonight because the Lightning yep. have an opportunity really to... Biggest crowd yet this year. Yep. It's going to be a lot of fun being in that building. Dave, great job as always, and I will talk to you in a few hours. Yes, talk to you then. All right. Thanks to Steve Versnick, who produced the show. We always appreciate Steve and what he does. Brendan Burke, you heard him on at uh, 1230. He is calling the games nationally for NBC Sports and also does Islanders TV. And uh, we appreciate him coming on to talk about this series and some other things as well. And you can always hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio or personally at Greg Linelli at Dave Mishkin. All right, everybody, we'll be with you again tomorrow noon to one recapping game three tonight. 
which you can listen to starting at 7 o'clock with the pregame skate show right here on Lightning Power Play.